series called Crosswise, Understanding Jesus' Death. And today I want to draw your attention to a familiar passage to many, Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 30. I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, and the title of my sermon is Forgiveness on the Cross, the New Covenant. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. It is a historical fact that Jesus of Nazareth died by execution under a Roman prefect named Pontius Pilate. We can prove as much without any reference to the Bible. Around 94 CE, the Jewish historian Josephus wrote that Jesus was condemned to the cross by Pontius Pilate. Around 115 CE, the Roman historian Tacitus, who was harsh on Christians, wrote, Their name comes from Christ, who during the reign of Tiberius had been executed by the procurator Pontius Pilate. Around 180 CE, the anti-Christian writer Lucian of Samsoda mentioned the man who was crucified in Palestine because he introduced this new cult into the world. This evidence from Jewish and pagan sources confirms what is conveyed in the New Testament and the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus was executed by crucifixion under a Roman official named Pontius Pilate. What really matters, however, is the meaning of Jesus' death. This is where fact gives way to faith. Preachers, Bible scholars, theologians, and everyday Christians have articulated various meanings of Jesus' death across the centuries. It's important to study the views of biblical authors, such as the Apostle Paul, it can also be good to study subsequent 
theologians and their thought about the cross, including St. Augustine, St. Anselm, Martin Luther, and modern-day interpreters of Jesus' death. But could there be a more trustworthy source on the meaning of Jesus' death than Jesus himself? Could there be any more reliable authority on the meaning of the cross than Jesus the crucified? The single most important exercise in studying the cross is investigating Jesus' own view of his death, which is precisely what we find in Matthew 26, 26 through 30. Jesus was aware of his impending death. He was no more surprised to land on a cross than a pilot landing on a runway. The night before he died, he explained the meaning of his death to his disciples as they ate a Passover meal together. The host of a Passover meal would normally interpret the various foods on the table in relation to the story of the Passover and the Exodus. These bitter herbs symbolize the bitterness of our slavery under the Pharaoh. This roasted lamb symbolizes the lamb that we slew, whose blood we smeared on our doorposts so the angel of death would pass over. This unleavened bread represents how we had to get out of there so fast the next morning that the yeast didn't even have time to rise. But when Jesus, on this night, took the bread, after he had blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body. The eyes of the disciples opened like morning glories in the springtime sun. The story of salvation was shifting right in front of them. The bread represented Jesus' broken body, not the bread of the Passover. The meal was about Jesus and his death, not Moses and the Exodus. God's saving acts were not relegated to the past, but unfolding in the present. This became even clearer when Jesus took the cup of wine and said, this is my blood of the covenant. Jesus expected to suffer a violent death in which he would shed the blood of the covenant. A covenant is a relationship agreement. A covenant is a sacred commitment between two parties. According to Bible scholar Leon Morris, ancient covenants included several components such as the terms of agreement and the offering of a sacrifice. For example, in Genesis 8 through 9, after Noah and his family came through the great flood, God made a covenant with them. The terms of agreement were that God would never again flood the entire earth. The sacrifice was some animals Noah offered up to God. In Genesis 15, another covenant was made between God and Abraham. 
the terms of agreement were that God would give Abraham descendants and a land for them to inhabit. The sacrifice was some animals Abraham offered up to God. Still another covenant was made in the book of Exodus after God brought the Israelites out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. The terms of agreement were that God would be the God of the people and the people would obey God's law. The sacrifice was some oxen Moses offered up to God. In Exodus 24, 8, Moses said, See the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Although the Israelites promised to observe God's law, they broke the covenant again and again. Psalm 78 says, They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. Isaiah 25 says, They transgressed laws, violated the statutes, and broke the everlasting covenant. So the question arose as to what God would do with this people who kept breaking the sacred covenant. Would God give up on them? Would God walk out on them? Would God turn against them forever? The prophet Jeremiah indicated a different divine response. In Jeremiah 31, the prophet declared, Surely the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. All of this covenant history pressed toward this moment Jesus was sharing with his disciples. All of this covenant history was like a locomotive barreling across the centuries about to pull into the station. This was the moment all the scriptures had awaited. This was the moment all humanity desperately needed. This was the moment that would secure our relationship with God forever. This is my blood of the covenant, said Jesus, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus viewed his death as inaugurating the new covenant between God and humanity. The terms of agreement were that God would forgive our sins. The sacrifice was Jesus offering himself. A Bible scholars note that the Greek term translated forgiveness here often had the legal sense of release from obligation or release from punishment. The idea is giving people a fresh start a clean slate, a free do-over. The debt of sin we have accrued is canceled. The burden of guilt we have carried is removed. In light of Jesus' death, God 
tosses the record of our sins into the fire of divine mercy. The only people who don't get excited about forgiveness are those under the mistaken impression that they don't need it. Conversely, those who know they need forgiveness sometimes feel unworthy to receive it. The truth is, all of us need forgiveness. None of us is worthy of it. And Christ died to establish a covenant relationship with God based on it. If you've ever said something you wish you could take back, if you've ever mistreated someone you truly care about, if you've ever tried your very best and still messed up, if you've ever done something bad and felt horrible about it later, God offers to release you from it, to remove your guilt, and to forgive your sins. So how do we appropriate for ourselves God's gracious offer of a covenant relationship based on forgiveness? How do we activate our own membership in this covenant that Christ has sacrificially inaugurated. The answer is found in a single word in verse 26. Take, Jesus says. Take. The Greek word is lambano. It means to receive what is given. It means to accept what is offered. When Jesus said, take, he was talking about the bread, a symbol of his crucified body. So the idea is to receive the crucified Christ, to accept Christ, to take Christ for ourselves, to put our confidence in Christ, to believe in Christ, to trust Christ. As for eligibility, it's wide open. Christ says his blood is poured out for many, not for a few. The benefits of Christ's death are offered freely to all people. The new covenant welcomes the entirety of humanity. Drink from it, all of you, he says. No one is left out of the invitation. No one is barred from participation. Not even Judas who would betray Christ. Not even Peter who would deny Christ. The only ones excluded from the new covenant are those who exclude themselves. Years ago, according to Christianity Today, there was a young woman who met a guy at a party and later ended up getting pregnant. The guy was out of the picture in no time. She did not want to have the baby, but she did, and she named him Greg. As Greg grew up, 
His mother continued to struggle with relationships. He once saw her confront an ex-husband with a baseball bat. Sometimes Greg would hear his mother disparaging herself through tears. I'm a bum, she would say. I'm a no-good bum. Greg's grandparents took him to church on occasion. And one Sunday, the preacher preached about Christ dying for us and rising from the grave. And it all made sense to Greg, and he put his faith in Christ. After that, Greg began to share his faith. But every time he tried to share the gospel with his mother, she would shut down the conversation. God can't forgive me, she would say. You don't know the things I've done. But one day when Greg was 15 years old, he marched into the kitchen and made his mother listen to the gospel. When he finished sharing it with her, she said, You mean to tell me that if I trust in Jesus, he forgives every sin Even the really bad ones? Yeah, Ma, said Greg. That's why he died on the cross. She took a drag of her cigarette, stared off into space for a moment, and then said, I'm in. Entering the new covenant really is that simple. Trust Christ receive his offer of forgiveness, and you're in. Of course, what you've entered is a community founded on forgiveness. While forgiveness is comforting, it's also empowering. Forgiveness is not God shrugging at our sins saying, "Ah, don't worry about it. Forgiveness is God releasing us from our sins so they no longer count against us and so they no longer hold us in their grip. To receive God's forgiveness is to be released from past guilt for future growth in righteousness. In view of the sacrifice that Christ made to inaugurate the new covenant, we cannot abuse the gift of divine forgiveness by carelessly persisting in patterns of unrighteousness. Divine forgiveness, when authentically received by faith, does not lead to more and more sin, but more and more growth in righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit because divine forgiveness releases us from bondage. At the same time, of course, nobody reaches a flawless state of existence this side of heaven, even the holiest among us have unholy moments. Even the godliest among us never quite reach God's standards. Therefore, as beneficiaries of God's forgiveness, we offer forgiveness to one another. Before Christ died on the cross, he taught his disciples to forgive those who trespass against them. When Peter one time asked him, how many times, Lord? Like up to seven? Jesus said, try 70 times seven. Which means forgiveness is an ongoing project. It's a continual 
uh, practice. It means it's mundane for Christians. It's an everyday thing. It's routine for the church. Forgiveness is who we are and how we operate as members of the new covenant. We forgive today because we were forgiven yesterday and we'll probably need forgiveness tomorrow. Forgiveness is essential for healthy community. The spiritual writer Henry Nouwen said, forgiveness is the name of love practiced among people who love poorly. The hard truth is that we all love poorly. We need to forgive and be forgiven every day. The good news of the new covenant of divine forgiveness that enables us to grow in righteousness and forgive one another is founded on the cross where Christ died. There's no getting around the fact that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified under a Roman official named Pontius Pilate. The question is... Do we trust Jesus' explanation of what his death meant? Do we believe Jesus knew what he was talking about? In short, do we have faith in Jesus Christ? Fact says he died. Faith says he died for us. Fact says he died a violent death. Faith says he died a sacrificial death. Fact says he died on a cross. Faith says he died to establish the new covenant. Fact says he died under Pontius Pilate. Faith says he died for our forgiveness. Fact says he breathed his last. Faith says he gave us a fresh start. Fact says he was executed by Rome. Faith says he was exemplifying God's love. Fact says he was a Palestinian Jew. Faith says he was the long-promised Messiah. Fact says he's a historical figure. Faith says he's the crucified Savior. Fact says he offered his followers bread and cup. Faith reaches out and takes them, trusting that Jesus knew what his death meant, that he offered himself as a sacrifice of divine love, that he holds us in this loving covenant relationship with God throughout our lives and even for eternity. For he added, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom amen